First mindset is relationships over resumes. The best way to advance your career and life in general is to invest in authentic relationships with other people, with other humans. Get to know people, reach out to people that you admire, reach out to people that you think are doing interesting things in the world, and just become friends with them. Build an authentic relationship because those relationships turn into opportunities and they turn into taking you wherever you wanna go. The second mindset is always create value. If you take on that mindset of anytime I interact with this person, I'm gonna make their day better, I'm gonna deliver something that's useful and valuable to them, people will start to see you as a go-getter who solves problems, who makes life better. You're the type of person that people want on their team. You're the type of pe person that they wanna see succeed. So always create value. Welcome everyone to episode 9 of the Paul and Pals podcast. I'm your host, Ponyboy Paul, and Paul and Pals is a podcast where I interview my creative pals to learn how they became who they are today to inspire you for tomorrow. On episode 9, I have a creative conversation with my pal, Grant Scroll. He is the founder of Mission Collaborative, a company that offers interactive workshops and programs to help you change careers more effectively. In this episode, Grant talks about why he created Mission Collaborative, how he made his marriage the priority while still managing his startup, and as you heard in the intro clip, why it's important to maintain a mindset of relationships over resumes. But without any further ado, let's get creative. Let's get creative. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm all right. Just uh, just hosting a good old interview show. How you been, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, it's been uh, kind of a wild week. Lots going yeah. on work-wise and, you know, just trying to cool. figure out what's going on. Let's get started there. So where are you actually located right now? How is COVID treating you? Yeah, so I'm in Washington, D.C. and, um, you know, kind of settled into things at this point. So, okay. Um, Life's pretty good. It's not too bad around here. Still able to get outside and walk around and you know see people here and there at a distance. It's not too bad. I feel that social distancing, man. But um, so what I like to do is always start with kind of how we met. And interestingly enough, I don't think I've seen you since was it 2013? I believe 2013 at the University of Michigan. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the last time. <laughs> uh, so I participated in this um uh basically like engineering college prep program. And it was actually facilitated by Grant. He was like the lead director and I was just coming incoming freshman into the program. And, you know, he just really was, you know, very helpful. Right. But I think I started, <laughs> you know, we obviously linked on Facebook, um, LinkedIn, and I saw you had created this program called mission collaborative, which is a career development program. So obviously we're going to talk about that. But before we get into, you know, how that came to be, I want to start with you, yourself. You know, tell us where you're from, um, yeah. you know, family situation, all that. We can start right there. Sure. So um, I grew up in Massachusetts, um, got one younger brother and my two parents. Um, I kind of knew early on that I wanted to do something that took me away from home and just kind of explored new parts of the country and 
kind of find myself. And so mm -hmm. I went off to Michigan to study engineering, which at the time was kind of just like, well, that's what my parents thought I'd be good at. And I didn't know any better than to just yeah. say yes. So I kind of started down this path of I'm going to be an engineer, I guess, even though I didn't actually know anybody who'd ever done that before. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, two years into that program, it kind of dawned on me that I did not enjoy any of what I was doing. It was kind and what of kind just, of engineering were you? Yeah, I was in mechanical engineering, and mm -hmm. you know, I kind of had this vision that I would be building stuff all the time, and I'd be getting my hands dirty, and I'd be um, working with teams and solving problems. And as you know, the first two years are mostly just like weeder courses. You're yeah. doing intense math and other prereq courses. And I, I couldn't figure out how any of this related to what I thought I was supposed to be doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I feel and, that. Yeah. yeah and like, so. so before you kind of continue, so you sure. mentioned that you did mechanical engineering. That was kind of like, was that something that your parents were kind of like, hey, you got to do this? Or before college, you already had like some like passions or like, I want to do this, I want to do that. Or how, like, how did you really choose that? Yeah. Well, the irony of it is that I actually knew that I really enjoyed working with people and I really enjoyed facilitation and doing stuff with groups and service work and things like that. All, all these things that I kind of did outside of school, mm -hmm. but within school, I was really good at math and science and the most obvious path that all the adults in my life pointed me towards was engineering. And so oh, I kind yeah. of ignored those things I knew about myself. And instead I just focused on, well, engineering seems to be a respectable path and yep. the adults in my life seem to think it's a good idea. And uh -huh. so I just kind of accepted it without thinking much more than that. No, I can definitely relate to that. I was definitely in the same boat. I actually wanted to be a, a graphic designer when I was in high school and my parents were like, what, yeah. What the hell is that? So <laughs> that's I not think, a career. <laughs> I think a lot of, especially mechanical engineers, kind of start in sure. the same route. Uh, so let's keep going into that. You were doing mechanical engineering. I'm assuming things are going yeah. pretty smooth. Well, you know, so I thought cars were cool, and apparently, mechanical engineering is one of the ways that you can go work in the auto industry. And so that's what I thought I was going to be pursuing. And mm -hmm. you know, Michigan is kind of the heart of the auto industry, and so all those things aligned. So, all right, cool. I'm going to go to Michigan. I'm going to study mechanical engineering, mm -hmm. and maybe one day I'll design cars, which kind of sounds cool as a 17 year old, right? And yeah. so, you know, two years into this program, I'm starting to feel like where is this taking me? I don't particularly enjoy these classes. I haven't been building anything the way I thought I would. Uh, now that I've actually met some real engineers, I don't know if that's actually what I'm cut out for. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, the big turning point for me was that I actually landed an internship at a car company. And so I was really excited because I had a chance to move to California. I was working at a startup car company that was going to be a competitor of Tesla and so oh. it was like the best possible internship opportunity. And I thought for sure this was going to make it all make sense. Yeah. And after just a few weeks, it became clear to me that, oh, my God, <laughs> this is not <laughs> is who I want to be. Yeah. Like it just I didn't really relate to a lot of the other people I was working with there. It dawned mm -hmm. on me that. It, the, the auto industry actually kind of conflicted with some of my own core values. I felt like we were just making a luxury product for rich old white people instead of doing something <laughs> that makes the world meaningfully better. Um, yeah. And so it completely made me reevaluate why am I just kind of blindly on this path? And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when I got back to campus, I remember it was like the third day of the new semester, my junior year, and I was sitting in a class and I was zoning out and I thought to myself, 
this is wrong. I got to do something. And I got up and left during the class. I went and I found <laughs> an advisor and I said, I'm changing my major. I'm done with this. <laughs> and I, I did it just like that. I didn't consult anybody. I just went and you know, it felt right. And you know, yeah. from that moment forward, I became much more um, convinced that I had to kind of chart my own path. And I had to not just kind of blindly follow the, the path of least resistance. Got you. So you initially had mechanical engineering. So what did you end up switching to? So I ultimately decided that, you know, I'm two years into this engineering degree. I don't really yeah. want to stick around a fifth year and have to you know, deal with that extra time and money. So I decided to keep an engineering <laughs> degree. I switched to industrial and operations engineering, which tends to just be a broader form of engineering. It's got, yeah. you know, you can kind of use it in all sorts of different places. And so I did end up graduating with an engineering degree. But what was more important is I realized that I needed to spend my time outside of the classroom doing stuff that I actually got excited about. And I wanted to build things and use my time more intentionally. And that's yeah. kind of where this sort of entrepreneurial bug got me. Yeah, I realized yeah. like, I want to, I want to go build something. I want to make a difference towards things that I care about. And mm -hmm. part of what I realized I care about was I want to help other people not just blindly pursue the path of least resistance the way I did. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. you know, it's, there, there's so much wasted potential when you spend your life pursuing something that somebody else thinks is the right move because, for you. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're subscribing to somebody else's vision of success. Um, exactly. That's kind of what I'm still doing today. <laughs> okay. No, that's good. To, I think a lot of, I can definitely relate to that. You know, I never um, just walked out of class and changed my major, but I definitely went through points in life where like, especially towards the end of um, my senior year, because I actually had an extra semester yeah. and I was like, dang, like, this is what life is about to be. Because I had a job offer at that point. I'm like, that's good. It's going to be good money. But it just felt so rigid. Yeah. And I, was, I wasn't happy about it. So I, I definitely am still working out to figure out how do I take more control. Yeah. So going back to you, how, after changing that, your, your major, how did that really change your mindset? And what actual steps did you do to um, start changing it? Yeah. Well, for me, it was kind of like, well, I know that this engineering path is not the thing that I want to pursue for the next chapter of my life. And so I got to explore what else is out there. And so I got really interested in kind of entrepreneurship and starting businesses. And I wanted to find an intersection between that and this newfound passion of trying to help people figure out who they want to be in the world. And so I ended up upon graduating, launching my first business venture, we were doing a sort of like co-curricular program for college mm -hmm. freshmen who hadn't declared a major. And the idea was, if you don't know what you want to study in school or do thereafter, join our program alongside your classes. And we're going to help you figure out what you care about, what the options are, and ultimately how you want to make the most of college and life thereafter. And so I was able to actually raise some money. I was able to run some pilot programs. I was able to build a small team. And I absolutely fell in love with not only this mission, but also just the process of building something from nothing and trying to, you know, solve problems that uh, no one else had really tackled in quite that same way before. Got you. Okay. So to break that down, so basically you, you, you so you graduated, um, I don't, what year was that? Was that 2013? 2013. Yeah. So I graduated, and, that would have been like spring of 2013 and gotcha. I'd already, I'd already started this business and you know, I mean, the reality is that like we didn't have any money hardly. Like yeah, we, I was we gonna managed, ask you like, yeah, I mean, okay. it was like, 
I was living off of a couple thousand dollars of savings. I managed to win some money through this pitch competition. And I remember telling my parents, you know what? I'm not going to go pursue a normal job the way all my peers are. I really want to give this a shot. And so I stayed in Ann Arbor. I, I found the cheapest apartment I could find. And I ended up taking a couple of side gig jobs to try to okay. sustain myself while building this. One of which was the MSTEM program uh, that okay. we met through. <laughs> like the, the only reason we met in the first place is because I needed a side hustle to be oh. able to fund my full-time <laughs> business venture. That's good that's, to know. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask if yeah. you had a job at this point. Like, were you comfortable? Like, because I think when I think when, when I think of entrepreneurship, you have to have that that comfort that you'll be okay during the process, right? Because I think even though we all might have great ideas, we all want to do something, sure. it's very hard because of how society is structured to just leave anything that's just regular income producing yeah. and go no, pursue it's, that. It's so how did you approach that? 100% true. And I mean, I'll be, uh, I'd like to own outright that, you know, I had, I was coming from a place of privilege to even be able to do this. I was fortunate mm. enough not to have, crushing student loan debt or family responsibilities. And so yeah. I was able to kind of just go out on my own and just live off of some savings and have some side jobs and mm -hmm. focus all my time on trying to build this business. And gotcha. it, I failed. <laughs> I mean, I, I failed. <laughs> you know, I, I was able to do this for about 18 months, but ultimately uh, our business bank account ran out of money. I personally ran out of money and I was like, I don't know what else to do. I, I've, I've failed. And so that was kind of the end of that first chapter, realizing yeah. that, you know, there was no actual like business model here. I, there was a lot of things I didn't know and uh, I had to accept that this was not the path forward. And so that was, that was kind of the end of my first venture. And then I pivoted to something totally different for a while. Oh man, that's tough. So yeah. uh, let's go, let's go through that process. So 18 months in when you were, was there a point where you were like, Oh, this isn't going to work out. Or was it like you were trying to really force it and yeah. then it just fell apart? Yeah. Well, so honestly, one of the biggest learnings that I had from this experience is that you're way better off doing lots of repetitions of smaller tests rather than putting all your eggs in one basket and hoping that something really big works. So mm. in my case, everything was riding on being able to get 50 people to pay $1,000 each to do this program. And I'd never, ever in my life managed to convince anyone to give me that kind of money for any sort yeah. of product or service. And so me and my naive team of volunteers, that's what our singular focus was. Like, we just got to get people to enroll, pay $1,000. If we get 50, we're good to go. I think we got two. And, <laughs> and, these, wait, this is, and these are college freshmen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, really, we're, our pitch was more to their parents than to okay, them. Okay, I would say like, $1,000. We had a scholarship program okay. and everything. Like, we, we, we tried to figure out how to make this work, but we, we didn't know what we were doing. We hadn't done proper customer validation. We hadn't done any sort of pricing sensitivity analysis, none mm. of that stuff. I didn't know what I was doing. I just was really passionate about trying to help people figure out what they want to do. And I was like, yeah. well, I need to charge people in order to be able to support myself and make this work. So. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, the sort of go, no-go decision was our enrollment cutoff deadline. And when that deadline mm -hmm. came and went and we only had like $2,000, uh, 
I realized this isn't working. You know, I, I failed. And that was yeah. the moment where I was like, I have to do something different because I'm not gonna be able to pay rent now. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Yeah, it was it was a good learning experience though. Yeah. Cause you know, everything I've tried thereafter, I've learned that you wanna start with the smallest, quickest, cheapest experiments that you can and you want to mm. just build rather than jumping straight to the end product and Got hoping you. that people follow you there no that's a good point yeah i mean that's that's steep two thousand out of and you're expecting what 50 50 000? <laughs> yeah yeah it was in hindsight super naive because you know when yeah. i built this current business that's actually working <laughs> we okay. started we started with free and then we went to 25 dollars, and we went to 50 then we went to 200 gotcha. and okay. you know it worked a lot better this time around <laughs> that's a good learning point so as, yes. as we get as we get there to what you're currently doing what was your move right after uh this this failure yeah so I kind of had a unique opportunity to go work with my brother at a tech startup that had actually successfully raised a bunch of venture capital money. And so to me, it kind of represented the opportunity to be in a well-funded, legitimate startup uh, environment. And Mm. so even though the topic was totally unrelated from what I knew I cared about, helping people Mm. figure out what they're wanting to do in the world... Yeah. I, I kind of decided that this was a worthwhile learning opportunity. And so I kind of just picked up and moved to Wisconsin. I joined this small, nimble team of people. And I tell people that it was kind of like a guerrilla MBA. I got to learn everything that you might have been taught in a formal program by having to go out and figure it out on my own. So I did everything from sales to pitching venture capitalists for money to building product. I learned UX design because we didn't have a UX designer. I got to manage a dev team and learn Scrum. Um, It was just a year of like drinking from the fire hose learning. And what was your brother's venture, by the way? Like what was, what exactly was a startup? um, So they're still around. Um, It's called Fetch Rewards. It's a mobile app for shopping, grocery shopping in particular, but it's kind of like a loyalty card that works across any store and any brand ever. Um, If you check them out on the app store, they're currently one of the top apps in the country. They're doing really well, actually. Okay. I might might hit them up for an episode, but... uh, Yeah, yeah. I can can make that happen. He'd be be way more interesting to talk to than I am. (laughs) That's dope. That's dope. No, it's still good. Okay. So basically, you're now part of your your brother's startup. You guys Mm -hmm. are working, making things happen. Like, what was the timeline on this? Like, And what was your mindset the whole time? Was it like... I'm going to just do this because that's all I got or what? I mean, it was kind of another example in my life of I don't really know where this is taking me, but it seems like it's, you know, I'm going to make the most of it and see what I learned mm-hmm. along the way. So I ended up working there for a little under a year and a half. And uh, it eventually got to the point where I was just like, this is so misaligned with what I know I want to create in the world. It, it's just... I didn't really care so much about grocery shopping or coupons or savings or even apps for that matter. I knew that I cared about trying to help people figure out who they want to be and how they want to show up and contribute to the world. Like that's what I care about. And this was just too far removed from that. So I ultimately decided that, you know, I learned a lot here, but I need to get back to this mission that I care about. And that's kind of when I made my pivot to the next chapter. Got you. And cool. Take us through that next chapter, which... Is, I'm, I'm assuming it's mission collaborative. There was nothing in between. Well, no, there was. So okay. I, I moved to Washington, D.C., where I currently live, um, to take a consulting job. And I was specifically focused on helping 
colleges all over the country improve their student success outcomes. So that's things like improving retention, improving graduation rates, supporting students such that they can actually um, have a great college experience and make it worth their time and money. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I spent three years um, basically doing that sort of job where I was helping these institutions um, with their students and you know, about two years into it, I started to get kind of frustrated because this was a big corporation. And no matter what the problems were that we were hearing mm -hmm. from our university partners, we always had the same solutions to sell them. Oh, you need to buy this product from us. Oh, you need to implement mm -hmm. this software tool from us. Oh, we have a mobile app that will solve all the student problems. And I just wasn't buying it because I actually was talking to the students. I was talking to the uh, administrators. Like we, we were selling stuff that wasn't making a real difference. And that's where I started feeling really frustrated. And I started getting that sort of uh, bug to go off and build something mm. from scratch and do it properly. And, and that is the point where I decided that I want to start another business maybe, except this time around, I approached it totally differently than the first time. Okay, cool. And before we get into that, I want you to first kind of Break down overall what is Mission Collaborative, and then yeah. we can kind of talk about how you actually created it. Yeah, totally. So today, Mission Collaborative is basically a professional development organization. So we work with adults, working professionals, people like you, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s, who are kind of feeling stuck and unfulfilled with whatever they're currently doing in their career. And so we offer online programs that are designed to help you figure out what else is out there, how do I make the change, and ultimately, how do I find more fulfillment and satisfaction from my career and life more broadly. So we actually partner with a whole bunch of alumni associations at universities all over the country, and we run these career design programs with their alumni. So I've actually got the university doing all the marketing for my programs. And then we have big cohorts of alumni, again, people from early 20s to 60s, showing up to do this online program together. And again, the goal of the program is to kind of help you get unstuck, figure out what else is out there, what would be more fulfilling, how do you actually test those ideas before you commit yeah. to one? And then ultimately, how do you make a successful move into the next chapter of your career? Wow. Uh, that's very impressive. That's that's very impressive. And so it seems like it's a really like a big like almost I don't want to do what I'm currently doing and I need some way to switch it up. Right. So I think as for my thing, it's like, how do you do that? Like, yeah, because <laughs> I think about that range of ages. Right. Sure. Yeah. And then you got the diversity of people, diversity of thought. Yeah. You got diversity of industries. Yes. How can you have one program that's able to satisfy all those people's needs? Yeah. So part of what we learned really early on when I started this, which by the way, I started it as a side hustle. So I still had my day job doing higher ed consulting, but I also started a meetup group. And the meetup group was basically a place for me to experiment. So we would invite people who were feeling kind of unfulfilled with their day job and we'd do free workshops for these people. We did stuff around, you know, how do you identify your transferable skills? How do you um, identify different career paths that might be a good fit for you? How do you start to test those different career path ideas? That way you can kind of write off the ones that aren't really going to be good for you and yes. be more confident in the ones that will be the right fit for you. And then also things like 
you know, once you've decided what you want, how do you stand out from the competition and actually land that next job? So we started by doing these really small, low barrier to entry workshops and people loved it and they kept showing up and they told us that what we were doing that was different from anything they'd experienced before was really two things. Number one, we had a process that we would teach people. So how do you figure out what you want to do next? We have something that we call the career design process, and it's very much influenced by design thinking, positive psychology, and career Mm. development sort of methodologies. But it's basically an approach that you can reliably apply to your life to figure out what it is you'd like to do next. And it turns out that this process works whether you're in your early 20s or in your late 50s. It actually doesn't really matter because you bring your own sort of experience and skill set and fill it into the process. So that was thing number one that we were doing that was unique. We developed a process that reliably helped people get unstuck and figure out what comes next. The second thing that we figured out is that there's actually a huge benefit in building a sort of peer-to-peer experience. So rather than just having you do this process by yourself, if you're doing it with a community, if you're doing it with other people who are similarly interested in changing their career or figuring out what comes next, there's a level of accountability. All of a sudden, you get access to new perspectives and new ideas, new, new ways of thinking. Um, and you get a lot of motivation to like go through this and not yeah. just stop when it gets hard. And so over the years, we went from just these free workshops to actually doing these multi-week long programs. And we figured out that if we put career changers really from any different background or industry, if we put them into groups and had them help one another, and we forced them to be accountable to actually doing the work week over week, people made incredible progress. And all of a sudden they were telling us that like, wow, I've been exposed to new ideas that I'd never even thought of because I've been a lawyer my whole life. And I finally yeah. got to chat with somebody who works in something totally different. Um, and so that's, that's kind of been the, the secret sauce to what makes our programs unique is, you know, it's really about the community. It's about other people. It's about crowdsourcing ideas and motivation and resources. Um, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what we've uniquely figured out with our model. Got you. So that makes sense then because, you know, this, the, the name of the company is Mission Collaborative. And I'm assuming that's just, you know, making the mission is to everybody collaborates to make that new career change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was that was kind of just like a random name in the early days. And it's proven okay. to be really accurate to how things no, work worked. nowadays. <laughs> it definitely works out. But now looking at it from a business perspective, you, you said you went from a side gig to now. I'm assuming it's your main source of income, right? Correct. Yeah. No, I've been doing this full time for a year and a half now. So year and a half. Yeah. When we first got started, like I said, this was a side hustle. I had a day job that paid the bills. And at first we were just doing totally free things. And then we started charging $25. Show up for a two hour workshop. We'll charge you $25. And then we moved to like $50. And then we moved to $100. And then we moved to $200. And people kept coming and we kept figuring out ways of delivering more and more value with our programs. And eventually it got to a point where I was like, wow, you know, we got $30,000 in our bank account. We've got about $60,000 worth of scheduled revenue that we're supposed to make in the next six months if things work as we expect them to now's the time to leave the day job. Like I've actually got a runway. I've got, I've mitigated a lot of the risk. And so me and my co-founder both quit our day jobs when we had reached that sort of threshold that we set for ourselves 
where we said, uh-huh. you know, if we hit these numbers, this is safe enough to do. And and that's when we ultimately pulled the trigger and left the day jobs to do it full time. Wow, that's dope, man. And uh, one thing I just thought about is you're, you were working with your brother. And I guess since it was a startup, you were doing venture capital stuff. Yeah. For this one, did you also have to go back because of those skills? Or like, how did you raise money to even you yeah. know, quit it? So part of what I learned in working with my brother and his VC-backed company is that I didn't want to have to go out and raise money. I didn't want to have to be held accountable by shareholders who really just want a return on investment. They really want growth Mm -hmm. at all costs. And they don't really care what your mission is. They care about, will you make them money? And so having lived through that experience and seen the ways that it can actually corrupt a mission... Uh, my co-founder and I were very intentional about not wanting to raise money. We wanted to build something that we would maintain 100% ownership of and that we were able to kind of stay true to the mission that we cared about. And so that was harder in many ways because we had no choice but to keep our day jobs because we didn't have this sort of like pool of cash to work off of. But now three and a half years later, I couldn't be more grateful for the situation that we now find ourselves in. You know, in a time where so many other businesses are having to go through layoffs and they're having to reorganize, a lot of companies going through bankruptcy and all that, like a lot of that is because shareholders expect growth and they expect a payout. And there's a ton of pressure on business owners and founders to make it happen at all costs. And we're not experiencing any of that. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. actually great <laughs> to be in control and to say, you know what, that's yeah. okay. We'll, we'll not grow as much this year. That's fine. Uh, we're accountable to ourselves and nobody else. And, and I, the full ownership aspect. And, and, and yeah. right, and we have full ownership. And so I, yeah. I always tell aspiring entrepreneurs nowadays, like, yes, you can, you can, if you want, pursue the dominant narrative, which is go out and raise VC money based on an idea and then hope that it actually works. Or you can take the more old-fashioned approach, which is let me start really small. Let me try to actually get real paying customers and let me use money that I actually earn by creating value to build the next phase, to build the next chapter. Yeah. I mean, the caveat is that this doesn't work with every type of business, right? Like if you want to build something that requires a ton of upfront investment and infrastructure, you kind of need to raise money. But the reality is that for a lot of things that are done digitally, you can do it super cheap. Like in yeah. our case, we run fully online programs. We didn't waste time and money trying to build our own custom software. We just use a bunch of like software as service providers and we pay like, it cost me about 250 bucks a month to run a business that's now generating hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> it's, 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 it's insane how cheap it is to yeah. run a business if you know how to like cobble things together and you yeah. just kind of hustle. <laughs> Damn. No, that's, that's crazy. I think you made a good point because, you know, obviously with what's currently going on with Uber and I think, I don't know if they've made the f- full decision yet, but they were saying if they don't meet a certain deadline, they're not going to operate anymore in California. Right. Sure. And, sure you know, yeah. Uber being a company that's completely not profitable, but they're still in business. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of been the mindset of a lot of new startups where like, as long as they can get that VC backing, they don't take the time to really get that structure and stuff settled. So like, sure. where, where do you think this, this doesn't work though? This whole, oh, let me just go and raise my own money. Like, where do you feel like is your, your, I guess, advantage that you can actually go do that? 
Yeah. Well, again, it kind of, it really depends a lot on what type of business you're in. Like if you want to go start a car company, you're going to have to raise a couple tens of millions of dollars because it just costs a tremendous amount to prototype a physical product and to build the infrastructure necessary to be competitive. So certain industries you need to raise money. That's undeniable. But my point is that if you're somebody who wants to start a business for the sake of having more control and flexibility and freedom in your life, then trying to bootstrap it and build it without taking on outside money can be a really appealing route to go. And in my case, in the case of Mission Collaborative, we've been really intentional about trying to design a business that actually fits into the lifestyle that we want to live. So I, I don't work crazy hours. I actually work pretty reasonable hours. And I'm very intentional about guarding my time on the weekends, guarding time for my friends and family. Um, and those are luxuries that, quite frankly, my brother does not always have, especially mm. in the first several years of his venture-backed business. Like right. you're you're on somebody else's watch all the time. And yeah. like those people who hustle and grind uh, because they need to grow at all costs, like there's a lot of major trade-offs that you you're taking a deal with the devil in many cases. Got you. <laughs> cool. And I got some more questions for you too, but I saw uh, Juan, he said, when are you going to link him up in DC? So, uh, Oh, no kidding. Is he here? <laughs> yeah, I think he's in the chat. Oh, uh, no way. Um, but by the way, so if you guys have any more questions, you guys want to ask Grant, feel free to just press that little question mark thing next to the comment box, submit questions, and I'll try to put them in as we go. Uh, but one thing I wanted to bring about is, you know, you were doing all of this stuff and you're trying to start a whole company. But during this, I'm assuming you're going through, because obviously you're married now, you know, congrats on that. Thank you. You're going through fiance, engagement, wedding. How was that? I don't know. I guess we don't really hear about, about that as much. And I'm also a little bit younger. But how was that yeah. process? Like, how did you manage that working on and off? Yeah, yeah. Um, so part of what I learned when I was at my brother's company, you know, the one that was venture backed, we worked crazy hours. We were working 80, 100 hours a week. I was in on every single weekend, pretty much. Um, I we'd, we'd go to the office at seven in the morning and we wouldn't come back until 7.30 or eight at night. And this was just mm-hmm. a grind. And I felt my personal brain kind of like melting. And I also noticed that I was taking a lot of that stress anxiety out on my partner, my relationship. And that's part of why I quit. I was like, I I can tell that this is not healthy for my relationship Mm -hmm. with Allie. And when I later on decided to start Mission Collaborative and start my own business, I, I made a point to myself of like, I'm not going to let this business interfere with the life that Allie and I want to have together. And so every step of the way, yeah, it's been a lot of hard work and there have been long nights and weekends. Um, but I've also been really intentional about making sure that life comes first. Like you can't just put everything on hold to go off and try to build something. You you have to find balance. You have to make time for the people you love, for the relationships mm-hmm. that you're working on. And, and so that's what I tried really hard to do. Um, so Ali and I ended up getting engaged like two and a half years ago. And then we got married just over a year ago. Um, and, and it's it's actually been a really great sort of partnership to have her to 
to work things out with. Like if I'm unsure of what the right move is in my business, I can actually talk with her and we can kind of discuss, you know, how does this fit into the life that we want together as a unit? Yeah. And, you know, that that is actually really instructive of how I think about business decisions also. Um, yeah. That's dope. That's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. Um, how old are you? I mean, you haven't said your age, so people can't. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm 29. So 30 is just around the corner. Uh, you don't look a day over 20, 25. I get that. From, <laughs> I just, I shave for your show. So I'm trying to keep it clean. Yeah. You're good, man. And, you know, I like that point on finding that balance, that work life balance. And I, what I want to ask you is your entire, seems like your mission, your goal is helping people. It's, it's dedicating your life to trying to make, the world a better place, people's life a better place, right? Yeah. yeah. But how, have you ever had to feel like with that balance you're trying to maintain, are you giving too much to, oh, somebody needs help with this. I got to, I got to go spend time with them. Like, how are you, like, how are you approaching that? Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of like emotional burden sometimes in the work that I do because Oftentimes people show up to our programs saying like, hey, my career is the big problem in my life. Help me fix my career and then my whole life will turn around. And the reality is often that there's some underlying problems beyond your career that are really causing you turmoil. So, for example, we see a lot of people who have mental health struggles. We deal with a lot of people who have major like self-confidence uh, issues. Um, and that can be really hard, especially in the early days. I kept thinking it is my responsibility to help this person get through whatever they're working on. And that was incredibly draining. And quite frankly, I was not equipped to help somebody in that situation because I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. And so we did ultimately realize that sometimes the best thing to do is actually just refer people to the right resource. And so yeah. I, you know, I've had examples where I've had to tell people like, well, perhaps you should consider seeing a therapist about this. Cause you know, I, I I'm not the right person to help you here. Um, mm -hmm. and so I, I think with time I've learned that, um, I should focus on what I do best and I should be confident referring folks to other tools and resources when I'm not equipped. And so that's, mm -hmm. I think, how I've learned to, to kind of deal with the emotional baggage that comes with this work I'm doing. Because, you know, gotcha. careers are, can be really heavy stuff, right? So much of yeah. our identity is wrapped up in what we do. In fact, it's one of the first questions people ask you when they meet you. You know, what do you do? And based on that, they kind of make judgments about your entire character, your entire identity. Exactly. And so, you know, this is, this is heavy and important emotional stuff that we're trying to help people work through. Cool. I, I actually want to like learn, I want to hear some highlights. So um, I want to know like, what's like the craziest career pivot you've held, you've held somebody or what's like just a great, the crazy story from uh, just helping people uh, with your program. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, one, one of my favorite stories um, we met this guy named Javi. He came to one of our really early programs and he was still, he was still employed at the time. He was very, very depressed. I mean, he was one of these people where you can just kind of see the weight of the world in their face when you meet them. He had, you know, baggy eyes and kind of a quiet, shy demeanor. Um, mm -hmm. He'd been working in this sales job where they were just grilling him. You got to produce the numbers. You got to make the sale. And, and he was miserable and he just couldn't figure out what the right escape was. And when he came to us, um, we kind of showed him this career design process, you know, this technique and tool for figuring out what else is out there. 
we worked with him to start kind of identifying where he could go next. And we kind of guided him through the full process of actually making a career change. And I'm telling you, he came back like maybe two months later after that program ended. And he was a totally different human being. He was beaming. He was incredibly like exuberant and joyful. He had taken up improv and he was like a comedian all of a sudden. (laughs) Like this dude's life just turned on its head. And from that day forward, he became one of our biggest advocates. He came to all of our reunions. He started joining our other programs. Um, We had him come as like a guest speaker here and there. Um, and he's now somebody that I often refer people to if they're thinking about going down the career path that he's now on. And, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing that personal transformation that came with a career shift, a career change yeah. was huge. And so that, I mean, Javi is one of my favorite stories. And then maybe just to share one other, we had this woman who had been working in a law office. And so she spent a lot of her days doing legal work, staring at case files and doing research and typing a lot of stuff. And yet anytime she had a free moment at home, she was baking. She loved baking. She got really creative with it. She had all sorts of unique ideas and recipes. And that was her escape from this drudgery of legal work. And through our program, she realized that I can turn baking into a real career if I want. And so she ended Mm -hmm. up taking a baking job as a side gig at first. She'd get up at like four in the morning and go bake at a local bakery. And once she learned the business of baking, she ended up starting her own bakery. So she now runs a successful bakery in Virginia. Um, after she she said, forget law, I'm done with this. I'm going to go pursue my passion and become a baker. And she did it. And I'm super proud of her. <laughs> that's, that's really dope. I think uh, that's one thing I really like about your program is that, you know, it's very career-minded, right? But I think what a lot of people get from it is they start doing what they want to do. You know, obviously with the way society works, we have to, you know, make income, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you start thinking about your career as your life, you realize tomorrow isn't promised. You know, how long should I stay doing this just because I've been told that it's, it's what's currently paying my bills versus this makes me happy. Can I produce income from it? Or can I do this m- more and find something else that'll produce me. So like, yeah. have have you seen that been the most case or have you seen sometimes where people just, it didn't work out for them. Like they still had to keep finding or they have to come back to you. Like that next step didn't work. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> the fun dramatic stories are the ones where people like pursue this deep childhood passion and they go start a business or whatever. But honestly, that's yeah. not the most common type of change that we see far more common, we see people make much smaller changes to their current career trajectory. And yet those small changes can result in 50, 80% better lifestyle. So for example, you know, we get a lot of people who they come to us and they say like, I, I actually realized that the biggest problem with my career isn't that I hate my specific role. It's actually that I really don't like my manager and my team. And so if we can help somebody realize that, you know, your life would actually be 50% better if you were to just find a better fit organization to work for, that's a huge win. That is an absolutely huge win for that person. And it's actually a lot easier to make that transition than to go and start your own bakery. And so really what our program is designed to do is help you identify what are all the different possibilities that you could pursue that actually align with the criteria 
that you need to meet. So if you've got certain financial responsibilities or if you've got a geographic constraints or you just know that you would never work somewhere that wasn't mission oriented, like we can use those constraints to help you mm. identify possibilities. And we're going to help you actually test those possibilities before you commit to one only to realize it was the wrong move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I wanted to get to. I think that, um, cause those stories are great, but like, I think when you think about the realistic day-to-day life of average people, it's yeah. kind of like they can't just switch it no, up like that. So no. it's good that you acknowledge that. Um, yeah. That's how it is. I got a, right. I got a question coming real quick. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, my friend Yawande, she says, what's the name of her bakery? <laughs> what is the name of the bakery? It's in, <laughs> it's in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Hampton, Virginia? Hampton Roads, oh, Virginia. Hampton what? Roads. I'm afraid I don't remember the name. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to go there yet. <laughs> That's fine. No, we can we can try to figure that out afterwards. Yeah. But uh, she's she's a baker as well, so I think that kind of that kind of hey, really, right right really touched there. But cool. And uh, you know, we're starting to near the end of the interview. So what I kind of wanted to one is first announce uh, the raffle prize that you'll be offering. So basically, you know, Grant was you know lucky enough to just bless us with a, a lucky viewer with a full resume revamp, right? And do you kind of want to just go into a little bit more detail on what yeah. that actually entails? Yeah, sure. So even if you're not currently job searching, it's always helpful to have an up-to-date and uh, good <laughs> resume on hand. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've learned a lot over the years about how to put together a really compelling and effective resume. And there's actually a lot of really simple things that most people get wrong And so what I'm offering is a complete resume revamp. So basically what we'll do is we'll get on the phone and we'll talk through your current resume so I can better understand your background and your experience and your skills. And then I will completely rewrite it for you. And then we'll get on the phone again and talk through what those changes are, why I made them and do any final tweaks. So it's really just kind of my attempt to, to help you be more prepared for whatever your next career move might be. No, that's great, man. I'm I'm glad that you thought about that. That was that was a crazy thing. I think um, even when I first hit you up and I'm like, "Hey, I want to interview for you for this," you weren't even using your Instagram. You were like, <laughs> no, "I'm not on Instagram." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "I have to go log in see if it works." Yeah, so yeah, I think I, uh, I really appreciate you wanting course. to, you know, put in all that. So as we kind of get towards the end, I also want you to. Um, if you have any, what are some words of advice that you feel that you've learned in in your own journey? Obviously, you're still on that journey, but what are some key things that stood out to you that you would like to share with the audience just to you know bless them a little bit? Yeah. Um, there, there are two things in particular that we talk about in all of our programs that I think are relevant for anybody who's trying to build a career, especially if you're early in your career. So those two things are mindsets, and they're, they're two different mindsets that if you can really embody them, you will go places, and you will be able to make transitions and changes a lot more easily. So the first mindset is relationships over resumes. I deal with people all the time who say, hey, as long as I get my resume in good shape, I should be able to go and do whatever I want to do. It turns out that's not the case. <laughs> the best way to advance your career and life in general is to invest in authentic relationships with other people, with other humans. So if you're trying to make a career pivot or even just advance within your current career, 
really focus on building relationships, authentic relationships, not just transactional networking BS. Get to know people, reach out to people that you admire, reach out to people that you think are doing interesting things in the world, and just become friends with them. Build an authentic relationship because those relationships turn into opportunities and they turn into taking you wherever you want to go. So we preach that all the time in our programs because we've witnessed for years now the difference it makes. Um, people who are good at building and cultivating those relationships have far more fulfilling careers and they're able to make changes and be more resilient way better than everyone else. So that's number one, relationships over resumes. And then the second piece of like career advice, the second mindset is always create value. So the idea here is that anytime I have an interaction with somebody in a professional setting, I want to create value for them. I want them to walk away from that interaction feeling like, wow, my day is better for having interacted with Grant. So there's a lot of different ways that you can create value for somebody. But if you take on that mindset of anytime I interact with this person, I'm going to make their day better. I'm going to deliver something that's useful and valuable to them. People will start to see you as a go-getter who solves problems, who makes life better. You're the type of person that people want on their team. You're the type of person that they want to see succeed. So always create value. Um, some of the easiest ways of doing this are, you know, if you're reaching out to somebody new, try to send a resource that they'll find interesting. Offer to connect them with somebody else that they might enjoy connecting with. Compliment them. Make them feel good about themselves. <laughs> that's, that's creating value for somebody. Um, yeah. If you're going to have a conversation with your manager, don't just point out problems. Bring them solutions. Be the person who fixes the problem and creates new ideas and generates value. Anytime you're showing up and creating value, people are paying attention and you are setting yourself up for success. So those are my two things. Relationships over resumes always create value. Got you. That was dope, man. We got, we got people taking notes, man. That's dope. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I just want to really, really appreciate you for joining. Is there anything you want to just say before I let you go about you know, promo your little business maybe a little bit? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're finding yourself in a place where you're like, I don't really love what I'm doing and I'm not really sure what comes next, uh, check out our upcoming programs. Um, just go to missioncollaborative.com. Uh, you can check out our online fellowships, a fully online 30-day program. It's only like five hours a week of your time. Uh, very doable. You can do it. Um, and then hit me up personally if you're interested and I'll give you a discount. Happy to do that too. Hey, that Paul and Powell's discount. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. That. <laughs> no, that's dope, man. But once again, uh, Grant, I really appreciate you for, you know, logging back into your Instagram. Yeah, no, thanks so much this. for having me. Jeez, what oh, a man, pleasure. It was, dope. it was dope. I think you really uh, shed a lot of uh, good information that I think people can <clears throat> really act on like right away. So I appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to let you go and I'm going to wrap it up with the rest of the rest of the game. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, everybody. Right, Take care. I appreciate you, man. If you enjoyed this creative conversation, I would appreciate if you did at least one of the following three things. One, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and feel free to leave me a rating and a review too if you have the time. Two, follow at Paul and Pals on your social media of choice, but ideally Instagram so you can tune in live every other Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern to participate in the conversation and potentially win a raffle prize. Three, share the word people tend to take the referral of a friend or family member seriously so 
if you know of a friend or a family member that would also enjoy these creative conversations, send them a link to an episode. Lastly, if you're interested in coming on the show to share your story, please feel free to reach out to me via social media or send me an email at paul, that's P-O-L, at paulandpals.live. And who knows, you might just be the next pal that I interview. But without any further ado, remember to stay creative. Stay creative.